In a city of three million, it could be easy to feel lost. To always be busy and online while never really being connected. 312, Park Near North's Young Adult Ministry is focused on developing community and discipleship for young adults in Chicago. We'd love for you to join us, whether you're single, married, or dating, and take part in one of our monthly events or semi-annual retreats to build a community of fellowship that helps you grow in your relationship with Jesus. 312, knowing God and making God known in Chicago and to the ends of the earth. First of all, some of you may, uh, some of, for some of you, your parents are absent or they're deceased, and you really long for them to be present and involved in your life. Some of you have lost a parent. Um, that's actually our story as well. When my wife and I had been married just three years, uh, at the tender age of 49, my mother-in-law died of, of breast cancer. And, so, and then one year after that, my father, at the age of 59, <laughs> he died of a massive heart attack. And so my wife and I, just three years into our marriage, had to endure both of these incredibly devastating losses. Twenty years later, a month does not go by when we don't miss them. If this is your story, I know that holidays could be really, really hard. Uh, we long for our parents. We long for their presence in our lives. And so a lot about the holidays reminds us of our parents. For some of you, you may never have even known your mom or your dad and your, or your relationship with them is just super unhealthy. And this has left a huge wound in your own heart. And it's really a gaping wound of disappointment all over. Another circumstance it might be that you've been single for a while. And you just long for a spouse. Or you long for family. I know that can be very real for this crowd especially. You might be really tired of going to other people's weddings. <laughs> and you might wish that this present gift of singleness and celibacy was one that you could return. Obviously, this is, like I said, very real for many of you. For some of you, another subset, uh, those of you couples, you may be experiencing infertility and you long for children. You long for them to be part of your family story, but you're, that's not part of it yet. And so you're questioning God's goodness. And then others of you may have experienced a miscarriage. Uh, and that, and you still have that same longing for children. And there's even more anxiety associated with it. This is also my story with my wife, Angela, our second pregnancy. Um, we were 23 weeks pregnant with twins when uh, a knot developed in the, in the umbilical cord of one of the twins. Uh, she died in the womb, and just a week later, uh, my wife uh, uh, began to go into labor and contractions, and, and both were born. And, uh, and our little Helen lived about three minutes, but her 23-week-old lungs could not make it. And so that was devastating, and that was just one year after my dad died. And so mom died, <laughs> dad died, and then we lost the twins. So I know what it's like to go through disappointment and loss like this. And so as I enter into this, there's a lot of longing probably in your life, and there has been in mine for, God, I wish my family were a certain way. So how do we, um, how do we handle disappointment and loss? What does the Bible say about it? If we look at uh, 2 Corinthians 1.3, it says this. Paul writes, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. 
Just a couple things to pull out of this passage. I'm really encouraged by it. First of all, God says he, that God can use our disappointment and loss to draw us to himself. He can use it to draw us to himself. He is, it says he's the God of all comfort. And so what that is, is he's the source. He knows comfort inside and out. The word for comfort used here in the Greek is parakaleo. Para meaning next to or near. Kaleo means to speak or, or to name or to summon. And the idea, I really, I think that is God is, he's near us speaking our name, encouraging us. God is transcendent. He's far above everything. But he's also near. He is absolutely near to us. He knows our pain. He understands us. He feels our pain. Paul also says that he comforts us in all of our affliction. I love that. He doesn't keep a list of what deserves comfort and what doesn't deserve comfort. He says, hey, I, he is available to comfort in anything. Nothing is too big or too small. Uh, it doesn't, that falls outside of his desire to comfort us. So in our most painful and in our most desperate moments, the Lord invites us into intimacy with himself. And I know that's my story, that when I feel most needy, when I feel most broken, oftentimes that's when I actually feel the nearest to God. Well, the second part about this experience of loss is that God can use our disappointment and loss to benefit others. As we look at the passage, it's pretty amazing. He comforts us, so why? So that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the same comfort which, with which we ourselves are comforted by God. And I know you've experienced this. When somebody has gone through some pain that you have actually gone through as well, it's, they come to you because they know that you can identify with them. If you've lost a parent or you've lost a child, you can uniquely come alongside of someone who's going through the same kind of loss and point them to the Lord. Because of our own story of losing the twins, we have been able to come alongside of many couples who have also gone through miscarriages. Well, I just want to cover a little bit about disappointment and loss as we enter into this, into this myth. So if the myth is that I will never have the family relationships that I long for. The truth is that even in our disappointment and loss, the good news is that the gospel gives us new relationships. <laughs> this is pretty amazing. We may never have the family relationships that we long for, <clears throat> but the Lord will fulfill many of our longings through others. Let's look at Mark 10, verses 28 through 30. Jesus is speaking. No, I'm sorry. Peter began, first of all. <laughs> Peter began to say to Jesus, See, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. As we look at this, we see that Jesus recognizes that there is a loss associated with following him. And so these words were meant to provide comfort and hope for the disciples. And I think Jesus is talking about real relationships here, not some fantasy uh, relationships, fantasy family members, but real relationships that would feel as close to us as brothers and sisters, mothers and children. For those of you who have experienced the loss of a parent, or it's an absence, or abs your parents has been absent in your life, or you've experienced their loss, notice that Jesus does not mention that you will receive a new father. 
That is, that is omitted from the second part of that, of that, of that verse. And I think the reason is because through the gospel, God becomes our father. He is our perfect heavenly father that we have always longed for. He, lo- he loves us absolutely perfectly. And he invites us to come to him and, let, and that we might even call him Abba, Father, Daddy. He is our Father who will never leave us. And as for the other relationships listed here, we see brothers and sisters and mothers. Um, I think that these are representative of the closeness of the authentic Christian community that we experience, even in this room. This applies also, of course, to you, not just to you who've lost a parent, but to those of you who, um, who, are, who are single and you long for your own family. God has provided for us a family that's actually really much closer than blood. I've experienced intimacy in my own friendships, my Christian friendships, that has far exceeded the intimacy I've had with my parents or my siblings. Far exceeded that intimacy. This church... It's a real family. It's not a fake family or faux family. It is a real family. It's family reimagined through the lens and the power of the gospel. Those of you who may long for children and are having challenges with that, uh, I know that's hard, and I, I, don't, I can't identify. Um, I, but I know it's disappointing. But with that understanding, there is also no lack of young people who yearn to have an adult love and care for them. Whether it's through adoption or foster care or even mentorship, God can give you the opportunity to invest in his children. And this is so close to the heart of God. <laughs> uh, we, and we shouldn't also forget that Jesus himself was adopted by Joseph. Uh, there is a single woman who uh, works at, uh, with the Ministry of Crew. This is the same organization I work for at Miami University of Ohio. Any Miami uh, people in here? Miami, Ohio? No one. Okay. All right. Well, there you go. <laughs> well, this woman is one of my heroes. Um, uh, her name is Jane Armstrong, and she has been pouring into the lives of women, college women at Miami, Ohio, for 50 years. She has literally hundreds of spiritual children, many of whom would say that she is the one who's had the most important influence in their lives. Has she longed for a spouse? I dare say yes. Has she longed for her own family? Yes, again. But I highly doubt that she would trade her vast number of spiritual daughters for a husband and her own biological children. So even in our disappointments and loss, I just come back to that fact that the gospel is what gives us new relationships. Let's move on to our second myth. The second myth is that I am doomed to repeat the sins of my parents or, or grandparents. The proverb goes that the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. And that can be both a blessing and a curse. I obviously have my dad's good looks, but there's other things that I don't have. Um, You carry the same traits, many of the same traits and flaws as your own parents. And some of you, you you want nothing to do with your mother or your father. You want to be nothing like them. Some examples of this might be, you might have a domineering parent. My father was this way. He smothered my, he smothered my mother. She was miserable. For some of you, the story is alcoholism or other addictions. For some of you, the legacy in your family is financial irresponsibility. It could be anger was a theme in your home or pride 
Or it could just be that there is a shallowness or a disconnectedness in relationships and that one or both your parents is relationally unavailable to you. <laughs> you want nothing to do with that. And you are fearful that those things might be also your own story as you grow. Well, if the myth is that I am doomed to repeat the sins of my parents or grandparents, the truth is that regardless of our upbringing, the gospel changes the core of our identity. And this is good news. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. If you are in Christ, God has given you a brand new identity. This identity includes being adopted as his son or daughter. That means you have a new father. It means it's forgiveness for all of your past sins, your present sins, and your future sins. So your family's sins can no longer stick to you. It also means you have peace with God. You are not at odds with him. In fact, you are his friend. He calls you his friend. You are also free from condemnation for any of your sins or any of your family's sins. That's really good news, especially if you feel trapped by negative things in your family. Well, let's, another part of this is that hey, we have a new freedom. We have a new identity. We also have a new freedom. Romans 5, uh, verse 5 and 10, uh, 10 through 11 says this, For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. It says right here in black and white that you are dead to sin. Sin no longer has power over you. So therefore, you are not trapped in generational sin. You will likely struggle, but as you walk with Jesus, he is the one who will shape you into his own image. You will see increasing victory as you grow in Christ. All right, so we have a new identity. We have, we have a new freedom. We also have a new fruit Galatians 5, 22 through 23, probably familiar for many of you. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. That's a new story, people. Our new, new, our new identity gives us a brand new story. For some of you, if you are the first Christian in your family, look at the story that you get to write. And this is, as, 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 the, as the Holy Spirit lives in and through you, this is what becomes your story. If, you are domine, if your family's story is domineering, you will begin to experience humility and demonstrate that to your family. If a legacy is addiction, self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. If the legacy of your family is financial irresponsibility, you will develop a heart for wise stewardship. What if the legacy is anger? We see patience there, that the fruit of the Spirit will develop that. Pride gives way to brokenness through the Spirit. Shallow disconnected, uh, dis disconnectedness, the inability to connect, moves to vulnerability. That becomes your new story in your new identity. So, regardless of our upbringing, you are not trapped in the sins of your family. The gospel has changed to the very core of your identity. Now, it may not feel that way when you wake up. You feel many of the things we just talked about. But the Christian doesn't live by feelings. We live by faith that he is the one who's doing these, this work in our lives. And as we walk with him, as we pursue a relationship with him, this is what begins to happen. 
Let's cover the third myth, the final one. That's my relationships with my parents will never change. Oh, <laughs> if you can identify with that one, please raise your hand. Just you feel stuck that this is, man, 20, 30 years, you know, you know, of having the same kind of patterns in your relationship. It's just hard to imagine how this relationship could ever change. So, um, and also some of us carry around a really a sense of woundedness from our parents. I'm a part of this authentic manhood group that meets on Wednesday mornings. It's been fabulous. Um, and these past few weeks in this program, uh, we've been talking about the wounds that we received, uh, that you can receive from your mom and from your dad. Uh, wounds uh, from the father are often caused when there's a lack of connection or there's a lack of companionship or direction from dad. Um, and some, some of the common responses, what this does in a person's life later, is that it, it gives way to anger. If, it, if, if your dad wasn't physically or emotionally available to you, anger can fill the, vo- the vacuum of your heart. For others, it's bottling up feelings. You pretend like it didn't matter to you, but you can't bottle it up forever. It has to come out somehow. And so sometimes it's through addictions or obsessions. And this is really the idea of you're trying to suppress the pain through those things. For others, you know, they try to numb the pain of this father wound through, through drugs or pornography or alcohol. And then others, maybe they try to do this through performance, performing like there's an invisible dad watching them, and maybe he will notice me. Wounds from the mother are a little different. Uh, whereas the father wound is one of, often one of inattention, the mother wound is often one of overattention. Uh, where mom seeks to continue guiding or controlling you even into adulthood. Or mom um, overly, uh, emotionally overconnects with you. Sometimes in order to make up a loss that she's experienced, an emotional connection with her husband. Those are just a couple examples of wounds that we can carry from our parents. Um, I also want to recognize that there are probably some people in this room who have endured uh, physical, emotional, or sexual abuse uh, by your parents. And those wounds are deep, and they're so significant because they, are an incre- they represent an incredible betrayal of trust. And so if this is part of your story, <laughs> you may not want to have anything more to do with one or both of your parents. Well, if the myth is, my relationships with my parents will never change, the truth is, is that the gospel gives us a new orientation toward our parents. And our new orientation is unconditional love. A couple times Jesus talks about this. I'm just throwing it up here. One is uh, Matthew 22. He says, love your neighbor as yourself. Um, and the second, and he also talks about in Matthew 5, 44, love your enemies. So whether you're close to your parents, and that's which case it's easy to love them, or you are indifferent to your parents, or you are even at enmity with your parents, the command is actually still the same to love your parents. So, (laughs) what does the Bible say about how to do this practically? Well, especially if you have experienced pain from your parents, that's really a big part of your story. The first thing we can just talk about is we love our parents by forgiving them. Ephesians 5.32 says this, Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as, as God in Christ forgave you. Um, So this, again, is your first step if you've been hurt, and most of us have, by our parents. Thomas Watson uh, has some pretty interesting things to say about this. He's a Puritan pastor 
uh, theologian who lived about 300 years ago, um, in commenting about our responsibility to forgive others as we express in the Lord's Prayer, he wrote this. And uh, first of all, the question is, when do we forgive others? And he's actually, uh, what he means is, what does it look like when we have forgiven others? And this is what it looks like. When we strive against all thoughts of revenge, when we will not do our enemies mischief, but wish them, wish well to them, grieve at their calamities, pray for them, seek reconciliation with them, and show ourselves ready on all occasions to relieve them. Wow. In other words, forgiveness means that we resist revenge, we're not returning evil for evil, we wish them well, we grieve at their calamities, we pray for their welfare, we seek reconciliation so far as it depends on you, and we come to their aid in distress. Now, honestly, the reality is that forgiveness does way more for us than it, than it does for the person that we forgive. It frees us from the bondage of bitterness, from the bondage of anger, and the need for retaliation. When we don't forgive, we are just continuing to hurt ourselves. And we can't do it in our own strength. Honestly, we cannot. Your flesh, who we are, we cannot do it. We can only do it through the power of the Lord. As we pray and say, Lord, would you help me to forgive that person? We can't do it in our own strength. This is a supernatural thing. Sometimes it's helpful, though, to see it as we love the person by faith. As God loves me, he loves that person. And so as I love the Lord, I can love him or her by faith as well. Sometimes it helps to take away the label of mother or father and just replace it with the idea that, that he or she is an image bearer. And that removes some of the emotional baggage that <clears throat> associated with their role in their life. What forgiveness is not, though, is, is, is that it is not the absence of anger at sin. It's also not the absence of serious consequences for sin. There are serious consequences. Some of you, obviously, have experienced family members who have gone uh, and gotten in trouble with the law or, and perhaps are incarcerated because there's sin, and that is right and just. It's also, forgiveness is not an automatic restoration of trust. Um, uh, Thomas Watson wrote that we are not bound to trust an enemy, but we are bound to forgive him. So that's the first part in terms of how do we love our parents. First of all, it starts by forgiving them. The second thing that we can talk about is we love our parents by setting healthy boundaries. A boundary simply shows you where you end and someone else begins. Proverbs 4.23 says, Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. I love this verse because it has so many different applications, but... You think about the language, when you're keeping your heart, you're guarding it, you are paying attention to it. You are preserving your heart. And then with all vigilance suggests that it is an active, it is an, it is, it is an active verb. Uh, it's not passive. Now, if, you, if there are unhealthy patterns of, in your rela- of interaction in your relationship with your parents, you need to reject the status quo and take the initiative to talk with them. It could be about how they speak to you as if you are still their child. It could be that they are pressuring you to come home for every single holiday. (laughs) Or it could be that they give you unwanted advice about finances, about where you live, or about how you raise your children. Ultimately, those conversations help move you into a peer-to-peer, adult-to-adult relationship. Finally, we can love our parents a third way, and that is really by honoring them. Exodus 20 says this, Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land 
that the Lord your God is giving you. Moses gave this command as one of the Ten Commandments. And it's interesting. He gave this to a group of Israelites who are about to move into the promised land. Um, and um, and the, most of the people there were adults. Oftentimes we think about this verse only for children. But these were adults he was talking to. Note that it's not contingent. We don't honor our parents. It's not contingent on whether our parents are worthy of honor. It, the, and, the only, and this is the only command that comes with a promise. That as you honor your parents, it brings healing both to you and to your parents. Some ideas for honoring your parents would include caring for them as they age, obviously. Another idea is consistent communication. One of the things that COVID has done for our family is we began to have bi-weekly Zoom calls with my parents. And they love it. And they never want to go back to any other communication. Um, another way to honor your parents is taking time to ask them about their own stories. Um, they are honored when we are interested in their lives. Hey, tell me about your childhood. Who, who, tell me about your best friend in, in elementary school. What kind of car did you, did you drive? What were your dreams? They are honored as we engage and are interested in them. A final application I'll talk about tonight is the idea of writing a tribute. A tribute is simply the, uh, an, an exercise where you write, uh, write down and present to your parent uh, something in which you give them credit uh, for the things that, that they got right. It also helps you to remember your childhood from a perspective of gratitude, respect, and honor rather than judgment and selfishness. A tribute enables you to focus on the good things about your parents, the loving ways in which they have treated you and the sacrifices that they've made for you. It does not gloss over issues of abuse or trauma. Uh, you can and you should acknowledge those things. But writing a tribute can really change the direction of your life with your parent. It's not only, it's likely to not only change you, but also open a whole new level of relationship with your parents. Finally, it enables you to say what you will have, what you, it enables you to say to them uh, what you'd want to and not have any regrets uh, and nothing unsaid for when your parents are no longer around. Now, I did this. I, back in 1996, I was um, probably 20, uh, 26 years old, and uh, the Lord led me to write a tribute for my father, who, with whom I had not lived uh, since I was 11 years old. I would see him in the summer, and I'd see him at Christmas time. And so I spent a long time writing in a journal about <laughs> one of the things that I really appreciated about him, and it was pretty hard, but it was a very cathartic experience for me. And it took me a couple months to kind of pull it together. I had it typeset. I threw a couple pictures in it and framed it. And on Father's Day in 1996, I was able to bring it to him, visit to him, and read it to him. And I have it here. So it's entitled to the dad who's always been there for me, which is... I think the longing of my heart, the dad who I wanted to always have with me. And so this was very healing because I recognized that he actually had been. I'm going to read the first few paragraphs of it. Please, I uh, hope that's okay. Uh, Through the years, I have not expressed to you all that I appreciate about you. Although our relationship has never been perfect or ideal, much of who I am today I owe to you because of how you have shaped my life and shown me your love. One thing for which I am so grateful, Dad, is that you've always taken time from your busy schedule to spend time with me. I fondly remember waking up before dawn on Saturday mornings to go fishing with you on Lake Michigan. That, made a lot, that meant a lot to me. So did playing catch in the backyard, fishing for steelhead, helping me build Pinewood Derby cars for Club Scouts, 
Building the electric train set together in the family room. I always enjoy doing these things with you. Later, we camped in Sylvania together and got drenched in a thunderstorm in Yellowstone National Park. Because of you, Dad, I will know how important it, it will be for me to do the things for my, with my children, for I learned how it shows such love and value. Thank you. You also made me feel grown up, Dad. You took pride in me and let me help you with grown-up jobs. Remember all the trips we took together, firewood for our wood stove? I sure do, and I enjoyed it because I felt like a man to be working with my dad. I also felt that way when you gave me responsibilities, like running the downriggers or mowing the lawn with a tractor. And then came the night when you taught me how to play euchre. <laughs> and I was so proud because that's what you always played. Thanks for helping me grow into a man, Dad. I just jumped down to the last paragraph here. It says, thank you, Dad, for being a great father. I have learned more from you than I will ever realize, and I'm so proud of you. You've always been there for me, and I will always love you. Well, I can, you, as you can imagine, reading that to my dad uh, on Father's Day in 1996, there was not a dry eye, uh, for sure. Uh, we wept together, and honestly, it was a watershed moment for us. Because, uh, here, can I give that to you? Uh, it was a watershed moment for us because it just opened up the opportunity to talk about some things that we had never talked about before. And little did I realize that this was such a gift to me because four years later, I'd be in the hospital room with my father who was in a coma and who would die shortly afterwards. I never had, I would never would have had the chance to say those things to him. So, honoring your father and your mother. That's just one way in which you can do that. So just in summary here, as we look at the myths and some of the truths that come along with them. Um, first of all, we see myth number one. I will never have the family relationships that I long for. The truth is that even in our disappointment and loss, the gospel does give us new relationships. The second myth is that I'm doomed to repeat the sins of my parents or grandparents. The truth of the gospel is that regardless of our, of our, up, our upbringing, the gospel changes the core of our identity. And the thirdly, my relationship with my parents will never change. Well, the gospel gives us this new orientation toward our parents, this, un this orientation of unconditional love. So, 